Number 225, right? 225, I think we were at. Um, that was the last one we read. So now we're starting with uh, 226 on page 280. And Anka, could you start us off? Can you hear me? Yes, we can now. Yes, thank you. Now, since there is no separate method for developing the meditation subject in the case of the other tetrads, their meaning therefore needs only to be understood according to the word commentary. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out experiencing happiness, that is, making happiness known, making it plain. Herein, the happiness is experienced in two ways, with the object, and with non-confusion. 227. How is the happiness experienced with the object? He attains the two jhanas in which happiness is present. At the time when he has actually entered upon them, the happiness is experienced with the object owing to the obtaining of the jhana because of the experience of the object. How with non-confusion? When, after entering upon and emerging from one of the two jhanas accompanied by happiness, he comprehends with insight that happiness associated with the jhana is liable to destruction and to fall, then at the actual time of the insight the happiness is experienced with non-confusion owing to the penetration of its characteristic, of impermanence, and so on. For this is said in the Patisambhita when he knows uh, unification of mind and non-distraction through long in-breaths, mindfulness is established in him. By means of that mindfulness and knowledge, that happiness is experienced. When he knows unification of mind and non-distraction through long out-breaths, through short in-breaths, through short out-breaths, through, uh, through in-breaths, out-breaths experiencing the whole body, through the breaths, out breaths, uh, tran tranquiliza tranquilize, tr tranquilizing the bodily information, mindfulness is established in him. By means of that mindfulness is that knowledge that happiness is experienced. It is experienced by him when he vert adverts when he knows, sees, reviews, studies his mind, resolve with faith, exerts energy, uh, established mindfulness, concentrates his mind, understands with understanding, directly knows what is to be directly known, fully understands what is to be fully understood, abandons what is to be abandoned, develops what is to be developed, realize what is to be realized. It is this way that, that ha happiness is experienced. Pati, Patis, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> the remaining three clauses should be understood in the same way as to meaning, but there is this difference here. 
The experiencing of bliss must be understood to be through three jhanas, and that of the mental formation through four. The mental formation consists of the two aggregates of feeling and perception. And in the case of the clause, experiencing bliss, it is said in the Pati Sambhida, in order to show the plane of insight here as well. Bliss. There are two kinds of bliss, bodily bliss and mental bliss. Tranquilizing the mental formation, tranquilizing the gross mental formation, Stopping it is the meaning, and this should be understood in detail in the same way as given under the bodily formation. Here, moreover, in the happiness clause, feeling, which is actually being contemplated in this tetrad, is stated under, under the heading of happiness, which is a formation, but in the bliss clause, feeling is stated in its own form. In the two mental formation clauses, the feeling is that necessarily associated with perception because of the words perception and feeling belong to the mind. These things being bound up with the mind are mental formations. So this tetrad should be understood to deal with the with contemplation of feeling. In the third tetrad, the experiencing of the manner of consciousness must be understood to be through four jhanas. Gladdening the manner of consciousness, he trains thus, making the mind glad, instilling gladness into it, cheering it, rejoicing it, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out. Herein, there is gladdening in two ways, through concentration and through insight. How through concentration? He attains the two jhanas in which happiness is present. At the time when he actually entered upon them, he inspires the mind with gladness, instills gladness into it by means of the happiness associated with the jhana. How through insight? After entering upon and emerging from one of the two jhanas accompanied by happiness, she comprehends with insight that happiness associated with the jhana as liable to destruction and to fall. Thus, at the actual time of insight, she inspires the mind with gladness, instills gladness into it by making the happiness associated with the jhana the object. It is of one progressing in the way that the words he trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, gladdening the manner of consciousness are said. Concentrating Samadhamam, the manner of consciousness, evenly Samam, placing Adanto, the mind, evenly putting it on its objects by means of the first jhana and so on. Or alternatively, when having entered upon the, those jhanas and emerged from them, he comprehends with inside the consciousness associated with the jhana as viable 
to destruction and to fall. Then, at the actual time of the inside momentary unification of the mind, arises through the penetration of the characteristics of impermanence and so on. Thus, the words he trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, concentrating the manner of consciousness. I said also of one who evenly places the mind, evenly puts in us on its object, my means of the momentary unification of the mind arising thus. Liberating the manner of consciousness. He both breathes in and breathes out, delivering, liberating the mind from the hindrances by means of the first jhana, from applied and sustained thought by means of the second, from happiness by means of the third, from pleasure and pain by means of the fourth. Or alternatively, when having entered upon those jhanas and emerged from them, he comprehends with insight the consciousness associated with the jhana as liable to destruction and to fall, then at the actual time of insight he delivers, liberates the mind from the perception of permanence by means of the contemplation of impermanence, from the perception of pleasure by means of the contemplation of pain, from the perception of self by means of the contemplation of not-self, from delight by means of the contemplation of dispassion, from greed by means of the contemplation of fading away, from arousing by means of the contemplation of cessation, from grasping by means of the contemplation of relinquishment. Hence it is said, he trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, liberating the manner of consciousness. So this tetrad should be understood to deal with the contemplation of mind. Welcome, Bhante. Word commentary continued, fourth tetrad. But in the fourth tetrad, as to contemplating impermanence, here firstly the impermanent should be understood, and impermanence and the contemplation of the impermanence and one contemplating impermanence. Herein the five aggregates are the impermanent. Why? Because their essence is rise and fall and change. Impermanence is the rise and fall and change in those same aggregates, or it is their non-existence after having been. The meaning is, it is the breakup of produced aggregates through their momentary dissolution, since they do not remain in the same mode. Contemplation of impermanence is contemplation of materiality, etc., as impermanent in virtue of that impermanence. When contemplating impermanence possesses that contemplation, so it is when one such as this is breathing in and breathing out that it can be understood of him. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, contemplating the impermanence. Contemplating fading away, there are two kinds of fading away, that is fading away as destruction and absolute fading away. Herein, fading away as destruction is momentary dissolution, dissolution of formations. Absolute fading away is Nibbana, 
contemplation of fading away is insight and it is the path which occurs as the seeing of these two. It is when he possesses this twofold contemplation that it can be understood of him. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, contemplating fading away. The same method of explanation applies to close, contemplating succession. Contemplating relinquishment. Relinquishment is of two kinds too. That is to say, relinquishment as giving up and relinquishment as entering into. Relinquishment itself as a way of contemplation is contemplation of relinquishment. For insight is called both relinquishment as giving up and relinquishment as entering into. Since firstly, through substitution of opposite qualities, it gives up defilements with their aggregate producing gamma formations. And secondly, through seeing the wrenchedness of what is formed, it is also enters into Nibbana by inclining towards Nibbana, which is the opposite of the formed. Also, the path is called both relinquishment as giving up and the relinquishment as entering into, since it gives up defilements with their aggregate producing gamma form formations by cutting them off and it enters into nibbana by making it is making it its object also both insight and the path knowledge are called contemplation anupasana because of their receiving successively anu 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 pasana, each preceding kind of knowledge. It is sorry, when he uh, sorry. Just, just if I can explain that while we're here, uh, in Pali, that's a common because you're speaking the Pali. It's interesting to note that. That's a common um, manner of speaking in Pali is to repeat a word. When you repeat a word, it means end again. So it's anu means uh, uh, in regards to. So anu anu is just a colloquial way of saying again and again, seeing again and again. So it's anu anu pasana. Yeah. It's just common to repeat. When you repeat something, that's what it means in Pali. And again. Okay, thank you. Um, it is when he possess, possesses this twofold contemplation that is can be understood of him. 
he trans death, I shall breathe in, shall shall breathe out, contemplating relinquishment. This tetrad deals only with pure insight, while the previous three deal with serenity and insight. This is how the development of mindfulness of breathing with its 16 bases in four tetrads should be understood. Conclusion. This mindfulness of breathing with its 16 bases thus is of great fruit, of great benefit. It's great beneficialness should be understood here as peacefulness both because of the word and because this concentration through mindfulness of breathing when developed and much practice is both peaceful and sublime etc and because of its ability to cut off applied thoughts for it is because if it, it is peaceful sublime and an unadulterated bliss abiding that it's that it cuts off the minds running higher and thither with applied thoughts obstructive to concentration and keeps the mind only on the breath breath absorption hence it is said mindfulness of breathing should be developed in order to cut off applied thoughts Also, its great beneficialness should be understood as the root condition for the perfecting of clear vision and deliverance. For this has been said by the Blessed One, Bhikkhus, mindfulness of breathing, when developed and much practice, perfects the four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness, when developed and much practiced, perfect the seven enlightenment factors. The seven enlightenment factors, when developed and much practiced, Perfect clear vision and deliverance. May I ask which are the seven enlightenment factors? You may. They are sati, which is mindfulness, dhamma which is the discrimination of good and bad dhammas, effort, rapture, or zeal, or uh, interest uh, tranquility concentration and equanimity thank you again its great beneficialness should be understood to reside in the fact that it causes the final in breaths and out in breaths and out breaths to be known for this is said by the Blessed One, Rahula, when mindfulness of breathing is thus developed, thus practiced much, the final in-breaths and out-breaths too are known as they cease not unknown. Uh, hearing, there are three kinds of breaths that are final because of cessation. That is to say, final in becoming, final in jhana, and final in death. For among the various kinds of becoming, existence, interests and outbreaths occur in the sensual sphere becoming, not in the fine, fine material and immaterial kinds of becoming. 
That is why their final ones in becoming. In the jhanas, they occur in the first three, but not in the fourth. That is why their final ones in jhana. Those that arise along with the 16th consciousness preceding the death consciousness cease together with the death consciousness. They are called final in death. It is these last that are meant here by final. When Abhiku has devoted himself to this meditation subject, it seems if he adverts at the moment of arising of the 16th consciousness before the death consciousness to their arising, then their arising is evident to him. If he adverts to, the pres to their presence, then their presence is evident to him. If he adverts to their dissolution, then their dissolution is evident to him. So it is so because he has thoroughly discerned inbreds and outbreds as objects. When a bhikkhu has attained arhantship by developing some other meditation subject than this one, he may be able to define his life term or not. But when he has reached arhantship by developing this mindfulness of breathing with its 16 bases, he can always define his life term. He knows, my vital formations will continue now for so long and no more. Automatically, he performs all the functions of attending to the body, dressing and robing, and so on. After which, he closes his eyes, like the elder Tisa who lived in the Kotapabata Monastery, like the elder Mahatisa, who lived at the Mahakaranjiya Monastery, like the elder Tisa, the alms food eater in the kingdom of Devaputta, like the elders who were brothers and lived at the Sitalapabata Monastery. Here's one story as an illusion. After recitation, the Patimoka, it seems, on the Upasata day of the full moon, one of two elders who know were brothers went to his own dwelling place, surrounded by the community of Vicus. As he stood on the walk looking at the moonlight, he calculated his own vital formations. And he said to the community of Bikus, in what we have you seen Bikus attain Nibbana up till now? Some answered, till now we have seen them attain Nibbana sitting in their seats. Others answered, we have seen them sitting cross-legged in the air. The elder said, I shall now show you one attaining Nibbana while walking. He then drew a line on this walk saying, I shall go 
from this end of the walk to the other end and return. When I reach this line, I shall attain Nibbana. So saying, he stepped on the walk and went to the far end. On his return, he attained Nibbana in the same moment in which he stepped on the line. So let a man, if he is wise, strongly devote his days to main, mindfulness of breathing, which rewards him always in these ways. This is the section dealing with the mindfulness of breathing in detailed explanation. Recollection of peace. One who wants to develop the recollection of peace mentioned next to mindfulness of breathing should go into solitary retreat and recollect the special qualities of Nibbana, in other words, the stealing of all suffering as follows. Because, insofar as there are Dhammas, whether formed or unformed, fading away is pronounced the best of them, that is to say, the disillusionment of vanity, the elimination of thirst, the abolition of reliance, the termination of the round, the destruction of craving, fading away, cessation, nipana. Herein, so far as means as many as, as many as, dhammas means individual essences, whether formed or unformed whether made by conditions going together, coming together, or not so made. Fading away is pronounced the best of them. Of those formed and unformed dhammas, fading away is pronounced the best, is called the foremost, the highest. Oh, Sanka had to step away, yeah, could you? Yeah, yeah I, I just came back, sorry. Welcome uh, back. Herein, fading away is not mere absence of greed, but rather it is that uniform dhamma which, while given the names, disillusionment of vanity, etc., in the clause, that is to say, disillusionment of vanity, nibbana, is uh, treated basically as fading away. It is called disillusionment of vanity because on coming to it all kinds of vanity, intoxication, such as the vanity of conceit and vanity of manhood, are dissolutioned, undone, done away with. And it is called elimination of thirst because on coming to it all thirst for sense desires is eliminated and quenched. But it is called abolition of reliance because on coming to its reliance on the five cords of sense desire is abolished. It is called termination of the round birth uh, termination of the round because on coming to it the round of the three planes of existence is terminated. It is called destruction of craving because on coming to it craving is entirely destroyed, fades away and ceases. It is called Nibbana extinction because it has gone away from uh, Nikanta 
has escaped from Nis Nisata is disassociated from craving, which has acquired in common usage the name fast fastening vana because by ensuring successive becoming craving serves as a joining together a binding together a lacing together of four kinds of generation five destinies seven stations of consciousness and nine abodes of beings uh but i have a question regarding a previous chapter um in the previous chapter it said that uh, a bhikkhu who has uh, used uh, that meditation technique can define his lifetime does that mean uh, the maximum lifespan of that time like like uh, 100 years during the time of the buddha or 120 years no it means he knows when going to die he knows. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of curious. I'm not convinced that that's the case for everyone who becomes an arahant and upanasati, but he seems to think so that automatically, by because of practicing this meditation, you automatically know. It's the association with the breath, and because someone is so in tune with the breath, and because. The idea was that the breath is equivalent to life, so one is as so in tune with I the breath that one is also as I have able, heard, to, it's, uh, able to know when death is going to occur. It's a satara idhipada that uh, gives you no, the that's, ability that's something to... different. That's being able to extend one's life. That's ah, different. Okay. This isn't about extending. This is about knowing when you're going to die. It's I'm I'm skeptical. Well, there are stories of the monks who were able to know when they were going to die. So there is that. Yeah, it seems like it's a doable thing. It's just a bit surprising that it's for everyone who practices anapanasati. But I mean, who am I to know? I have a question, Bonte. If one knows, if that is true, where if if one knows when when they're going to die, wouldn't that be, um, wouldn't that hinders the practice? Sorry, say again? If, let's say that if I, if I knew when I was going to die, I think I would be thinking about it and it would probably hinder uh, the advancement of the practice maybe. Because this is referring to an arahant, so they have no more practice left to do. All right, thank you. You're welcome. This is how peace, in other words, nibbana, should be recollected according to its special qualities, beginning with this disillusionment of vanity. But it should also be recollected according to the other special qualities of peace stated by the Blessed One in the suttas, beginning with Bhikkhus, I shall teach you the unformed, the truth, the other shore, the heart to see, 
the undecaying, the lasting, the undiversified, the deathless, the auspicious, the safe, the marvelous, marvelous, the intact, the unafflicted, the pure, the purity, the island, the shelter. I have a question for Audrey. Uh, do you want to read the next paragraph? No, I have a question for her.、Uh, okay. Audrey. Hello. Hello. Okay. She she ran away. Ran away. <laughs> She、okay. she watched the DVD the second time. A second time. Yeah. Right. Did she actually meditate? Uh, she said she was practicing, but um, <laughs> I was not sure. Oh well. Got to start somewhere. Yeah. Okay. As he recollects peace in its special qualities of dissolution, dissolutionment of vanity, etc. In this way, then. On that occasion, his mind is not obsessed by greed, or obsessed by hate, or obsessed by delusion. His mind has rectitude on that occasion, being inspired by peace. So, when he has passed the hindrances in the way already described, under the recollection of the enlightened one, etc., the jhana factors arise in a single moment. But owing to the profundity of the special qualities of peace. Or owing to his being occupied in recollecting special qualities of various kinds, the jhana is only access and does not reach absorption, and that jhana itself is known as recollection of peace too, because it arises by means of the special qualities of peace. And as in the case of the sixth recollection, this also comes to success only in a noble disciple. Disciple. Still, though this is so, it can nevertheless also be brought to mind by an ordinary person who values peace. For even by hearsay, the mind has confidence in peace. A bhikkhu who is devoted to this recollection of peace sleeps in bliss and wakes in bliss. His faculties are peaceful. His mind is peaceful. He is conscious and shame. Is confident. He is resolved to attain the superior state. He is respected and honored by his fellows in this life of purity. And even if he penetrates no higher, he is at least headed for happy destiny. So that is why a man of wit, untiring, devotes his days to mind the noble peace, which can reward him in so many ways. This is the section dealing with the recollection of peace and the detailed explanation. The eighth chapter, called the description of recollection as meditation subjects in the treatise of the development of concentration and the path of purification, composed for the purpose of gladdening good people. Okay, so we've now finished thirty, I think, thirty of the meditation subjects. We have ten more to go, I think, and then we get into 
magical powers, which are the most fun. And we have a few more chapters to go. And then, after the magical powers, there's a couple of chapters on them. Then we get into part three, which is wisdom. So a lot of what the bulk of what we've been studying has been stuff that in if you're following the tradition that I it's uh, we, we don't pay too much attention to it it's interesting for us to know but we're not that concerned with these things and clearly the Buddha also wasn't that concerned with them though he had all he had accomplished all of these and he enjoined his students to practice them it was clear that it wasn't really the goal and it wasn't really particularly Buddhist either there was a sense that other religions had these magical powers and these attainments. And so it was putting them in their, their place and categorizing them and showing that where where they the part that they played in the path or where in the path they were situated. So anyway, we're making good time. We are gonna we're making progress on this. I guess that's all for today. Thanks. Thank you. And, uh...